Hello, listeners, and welcome to the first of two special editions of the Footy Talks podcast. My name is Mitchell Tierney. I'm an MLS editor here at Homestand Sports, and this coming Saturday is not only one of the most anticipated soccer games of the year, it is also the first ever live edition of the Footy Talks podcast. Footy Talks is hosting a viewing party for the big match between Liverpool and Real Madrid, complete with a pair of live pregame panels. Mine will include special guests Joshua Cloak of The Athletic, Laura Armstrong of The Toronto Star, and Armin Bedakian of The Score. The other one will be an all-sportsnet panel with James Sharman, Thomas Dobby, and Brendan Dunlop. Uh, Doors open at 1 o'clock at the Rec Room, which is just across the street from the Rogers Centre on Bremner Boulevard. Uh, After our panel, the game itself will be shown on the big screen with full sound. The best news, it's totally free after you RSVP at homestand.ca. But today's edition of the show, it will also be special because as a result of Saturday being all about European soccer, this one's going to focus exclusively on Toronto FC. To get a full glimpse of the organization, I've brought on James Grassi of MLSsoccer.com and Waking the Red. He's a man with plenty of knowledge of Toronto FC, Toronto FC 2, and the Academy as well. So he's a pretty ideal guest to kind of dig a little deeper into the club. Uh, James, thanks for joining me. Uh, how did I do on that ad read there? Do I have a future in this podcasting thing? <laughs> Mitchell, it's uh, wonderful to be back on the show. And uh, yeah, you did an excellent job of buttering me up there. I'm uh, good to go. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, uh, let's let's get started by looking kind of at where Toronto FC are at at this stage in the season. Um, played 10 games in the league so far, uh, 10 points on the year. And uh, things are looking a little bit better after Saturday's 2-1 win over Orlando City. Uh, Toronto is still seven points out of the playoffs, but that is a little bit closer. Um, and they do have a match in hand over everyone in front of them except the New York Red Bulls, who they're level on matches with. Um, this past Friday's match was was definitely interesting. I think I said Saturday before, but it was a Friday game. I'm still getting used to that. Um, the The game against Orlando was interesting I, in the sense that the atmosphere at BMO Field, I think everyone kind of understood how kind of how nervy things are at this stage in the season and how much Toronto FC really needed that win. That was a, a almost a playoff atmosphere in there, not necessarily in terms of the noise, but um, when the game got tied, you know, it, it was pretty quiet in there and everyone was kind of, you know, they were on the edge of their seats. Like, what happens if Toronto FC drop points again at home? Yeah, I think people got uh, got very used to sort of Toronto being a dominant team last year and then, knowing that when they were at home, the chances of them losing a game or, or even dropping points was, was a very rare occurrence. And so, you know, being back in a position that the team probably hasn't been in for the better part of 18 months has, has got some people on edge, uh, most notably some of the fans, definitely. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, this is a team that, that we've seen do some pretty impressive things over the last little while. And, and you know, Normally speaking, I wouldn't even be looking at the standings right now when it comes to, to where people are in the playoff race and, and all that sort of thing. Granted, you know, Atlanta and New York City FC have gotten off to some, some pretty lightning fast starts and the New York Red Bulls are, are making their way up the table as well right now. But, you know, there's still a lot of games left in this season and and it's just sort of unfathomable that anybody would keep up the, the ridiculous paces that they're on so far. 
Yeah, fair enough. And Toronto FC, they did end up grabbing that win. Um, it, it was a bit of an ugly one in the end, but that's kind of what you need right now is just to pick up those three points. And um, they got a big goal at the end. Uh, the hero on the day was Canadian Ryan Telfer uh, scoring his first MLS goal for Toronto FC. And uh, just a quick backstory on Ryan Telfer. Uh, he was apparently initially spotted by Toronto FC GM Tim Bezbachenko, who was playing against him actually in a rec league game a few years ago. He was fantastic in that match. And and Tim Bez kind of kept an eye on him ever since. Uh, spent time at York University, evidently, and then joined Toronto FC a couple of years ago, or sorry, last year. Um, and, you know, of the players who were kind of the emergency call-ups for Toronto FC during that time uh, in the CONCACAF Champions League, um, he, he was the one who stood out immediately as kind of adjusting to the level fairly well. I mean, he's a little older, he's bigger physically, and those attributes kind of helped him. But the Orlando match for me was something completely different. I, I hadn't quite seen this from Tell Forever before. He looked super confident in attack. He was probably Toronto's best attacking player on the day. And I think Will Johnson's still out there trying to regain his footing after some of the, the moves Ryan Telfer put on him. Um, you've seen him a little more than, than most of us, I think, James. It's fair to say with Toronto FC too. Um, you know, where did this performance come from? Uh, is it confidence or, you know... How how are these how do these match up with the abilities you've seen from this player so far? Yeah, that uh, that Bez story was was very interesting. I hadn't actually heard that, but you know when Telfer came on the scene at the end of last season, it, it sort of stood out as being um, an interesting story, just in the sense that TFC two tends to to build from within, and they tend to be very uh, very mm-hmm. young players that come through. So for a twenty three year old who hadn't been in the system coming in from York University. It was definitely something that that raised the interest. And then uh, he scored on his professional debut. I'm not sure if many people will remember one of TFC2's few road wins of the season last year was against Phoenix. And uh, Ryan Telfer was the one who scored the goal uh, about 15 minutes or so into his first ever pro match. So we sort of got glimpses of, of what he had the potential to be. In terms of, of what he brings to the side, it's always a little bit difficult to to know how a player is going to translate from from how they look in USL to how they look in the first team. You know, it's a it's a very different circumstance in terms of the quality of players you have around you and and the quality of the opposition. And you know, so it's it, it can be difficult to to say how is Telfer going to look when he steps up to this next level. The one thing that's always struck me about him is. As much as he's a laid-back guy, and we got a glimpse of that sort of in the dressing room afterwards and, and his refusal to celebrate uh, until after the final whistle was very indicative of this as well. He's, he's always struck me as a very serious guy. And, and being that little bit more mature than, than some of the teenagers that they have at TFCT is exactly the sort of thing that I think has helped him rise up to this level the same way. You know, I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago, and um, he wouldn't... He, he wouldn't sort of take the moment of signing a first-team contract to pat himself on the back. He was more looking at it. You always sort of want a player to look at at an achievement like this, a milestone like this, as as not being the end goal itself, but but as the start of a new challenge. And, and I've gotten the sense that that's something that Telfer has really taken on board. And uh, he sort of looked at it as, you know, he's, he's coming into a dressing room with a lot of, of very – high caliber professionals who have, who have played in a lot of teams all over the world. And and that's what he wants to do. And so he's going to soak up all of that experience and, and all of those lessons that every one of them can give him. And 
uh, you know, a couple games into his uh, MLS career, he's uh, he's definitely making a name for himself. Kurt Larson of the Toronto Sun, he had an interesting story on this. And, you know, Ryan Telfer's story, as we mentioned, is is so unique in terms of how he was found by Toronto FC. And I think anyone playing in a men's league game within a three-mile radius of BMO Field these these next few weeks will be going that extra bit hard, uh, hoping that, you know, Tim Bez shows up and uh, starts scouting them. But, um, the, you know, the fact that this is the way he was found and um, – that you know there might be or there probably are for sure other players like Ryan Telfer out there um, in the Canadian system in and around Toronto who just aren't getting these opportunities because um, you know the soccer infrastructure here is still developing Um, how important then does it become that you know that we now have League One Ontario now there are more clubs even Toronto FC Academy kind of uh, spreading out a little more and and identifying players earlier well, you know, the, the opposite view would sort of be that, you know, Telfer was found, mm-hmm. you know, so so that sort of implies that as much as as much as we don't have the infrastructure and, and the amount of eyes out there that we would love to have for Canadian soccer, you know, guys are coming through, guys are finding a way. Now, this was a little bit unorthodox, and I'm sure, uh, as you said, a lot of people will be keeping an eye out for Tim at their weekend men's games <laughs> this weekend, this uh, this. For the for the foreseeable future, I would imagine you never know quite who's going to be watching and what's going to come from it. But um, I always sort of look at these situations as you always want as many eyes as possible on players all over the place. And if we look at some of the stuff that TFC has done in the past, including that championship tournament that they had at, at the end of the the youth seasons last year, it's just another chance to get a lot of soccer people in the same place and sort of see what people can do and. You know, it, it's a, it's kind of a combination of, I always look at these things as sort of a combination of, of having the talent and, and getting the opportunity. And it's, it's getting those two facets to sort of match up. You know, if, if the eyes are there, but, but the player doesn't manage to create it on the day, is that opportunity missed? Does the player need to be seen two, three, four? How many times do you need to see somebody before you can really see that sort of standout quality? Mm-hmm. So, you know, with, with the infrastructure that TFC is sort of slowly building up, the academy sort of entering their 10-year their period, even though it's been a, a sort of a rocky road to reach this point, you know, they've, they've forged a lot of partnerships with clubs around the league, around the, the province of Ontario soccer, for example, and, and all these little tournaments and getting out and seeing players and, and drawing them under the umbrella. And then to have the Canadian Premier League also coming onto the scene and, and them, I presume, very much looking to do something similar where they spread those tentacles out and they get into communities and, and they really see what players have and give them a chance to develop. It can only be good for the game in, uh, in Canada. Speaking of that development, and this is more of an observation I was kind of thinking of this week, and um, I don't know how much it actually uh, means anything or, or relates to anything. And this certainly isn't a slight at the academy. Um, if anything, it's more uh, Toronto FC scouting, and a lot of these players did come up through the academy just in different ways. But pretty much every player who um, has played for Toronto FC, every young Canadian player, seems to come through a way that's not quite just coming through the academy. I mean, you look at guys like uh, Raheem Edwards, even Momo Bouli and Telfer, they all kind of went the university route for a little bit and college route. 
out. Uh, Jonathan Osorio went to Uruguay for a little bit to kind of develop his game, and uh, Jay Chapman played for a while at Michigan. So, um, you know, it's kind of interesting that uh, a lot of these guys, they, they don't necessarily, and obviously Toronto FC's academy is is newer and they're still they're still kind of perfecting what they want to do with the academy and it seems considering how well the youth teams are doing that that that's starting to happen but uh, I just I just thought that was kind of interesting that um, all of these players seem to have a non-traditional route to to this first team yeah I agree and, and I hadn't really thought of it quite in those terms but there's two sort of sort of threads that emerge from that and you know, one of them that I, that I know we'll hit on a little bit later is is sort of the value of outside experience when it comes to a young player's career. Uh, there's a tendency sort of in, uh, maybe not a tendency, but in Canadian soccer, if you come up and you have real talent and, and there isn't the infrastructure there to sort of constantly be testing you against the best players in, in your city, in your province, in your country, there can be a tendency that, that you sort of develop that big fish in a small pond sort of thing where maybe because you've had such success at a young age, you don't necessarily continue to push yourself. You don't continue to develop the way that, that you need to in order to make it to the professional game. And so for a guy like Osorio to go down to South America, for a guy like Chapman to, to try his game in college and, you know, for Mobile Bully and for Raheem Edwards and, and all these guys, uh, they're you have to wonder if maybe the fact that they got outside their comfort zone a little bit and that they had to scrap and claw was, was sort of the defining factor that helped them reach that next level. And the other thread would sort of be, as you mentioned, the, the Toronto FC Academy is still very young in, in these sort of terms. And and the way that the front office management has, has gone over the, the history of the club means that there's been very little continuity when it comes to, to who's in charge of the academy, to those managing those relationships with local clubs and, and with Ontario soccer and whatnot. And so, you know, we're just sort of now starting to see that crop of players who have been with the team since they were 12 or 13, who have, who have gone through the academy teams and gone through TFC three and gone through TFC two to sign to the first team, you know, uh, Liam Frazier and Aiden Daniels, two of the guys that signed recently, they've both been at the club since they were 12 or 13 or 14 playing together in the midfield and, Julian Dunn's another one of those guys who's been at the team for a long time. And I'm sure, well, you never want to be too sure about things, but we all sort of expect to see Noble Akello sign a first-team deal at some point. Mm. He's another guy that's been with TFC since he was 12. So I chalk that more up to sort of the value of outside experience when it comes to giving a player an opportunity to look beyond the limited horizons of, of Canadian soccer as it's currently structured, as well as... Just, just the sheer youth of the situation. You mentioned opportunities for young players a little earlier, and that that's honestly been one of the themes of the season so far for Toronto FC is the fact that all of these injuries that have taken place have kind of opened the door a little bit for some players that, um, honestly, we didn't really expect to see all that much with Toronto FC. I mean, uh, before the season, uh, you know, talking with other Toronto FC journalists and, and other people, other fans, and um, otherwise just talking about guys like Jay Chapman and Jordan Hamilton, you look at the you look at the Toronto roster when it's fully healthy and bringing in guys like Keche and moving Hasler into the midfield, and you go, where are these guys going to get minutes? Well, little did we know, um, they're going to get a ton of minutes because everyone's going to get hurt. So um, at, at the same time, this is this is kind of important because it's given Toronto FC a chance, uh, Greg Banny specifically, a chance to 
kind of know what he has with these players. And I mean, eventually, um, you know, the some of the big names, some of the names that have been in front of these guys, they are going to move on. And um, it, it does become easier if you have a player that you can promote from within. They'll know the system. They'll be just a little bit more sure of, of their footing on the on the BMO field turf. So, um you know how important has this been that they've been able to spread minutes like this obviously it hasn't been ideal uh, at all times but they have gotten a chance to give some of their younger players uh, some ne- some much needed minutes yeah that's something that sort of struck me uh, I can't remember if it was 2015 or 2016 it was probably it was probably 2016 if I think back and you know Toronto hit a bit of a similar injury patch in the middle of the year. Josie Altador was out for a couple of spells, and that gave Jordan Hamilton a real chance to sort of step in. And Jonathan Osorio was one of those players who was sort of in and out of the team. And Marky Delgado was sort of a young guy that had come over from Chivas that that nobody really knew a whole lot about. In a long season like this in MLS, by the time you get towards the the sharp end of the year, you sort of want to know what your eleven is, but there's always a curveball, a curveball potentially lurking around every corner, whether it's an injury or whether it's a suspension. And getting these guys, getting Jordan Hamilton, getting to St. Ricketts, getting Jay Chapman in particular, a lot of minutes at this time of the year can be such a valuable thing because it gives them a chance both to both to, to test themselves against the league and, and to see that they fit in and to build those relationships with players. And, and also it, it reminds them that, that even though they're in training right now and they may seem a ways away from from getting those first team minutes that they want, that they're still very much a part of the team and that when when the opportunity strikes, they need to be ready to, to make the most of it. And, you know, we've seen both Hamilton and Chapman sort of come in and do their thing and, and look excellent at some times and, and other times look a little bit less excellent. But I think both of them are sort of, adjusting to to how they fit into a team that itself is very much looking for for how it's going to see out this injury spell one of the one of the really tricky things about this sort of spot duty for players is that it's one thing to come into a team that that knows very much how it wants to play and has a clear idea and therefore your role within that team is very clearly defined it's another one when the team is sort of patched together and and you're playing with a guy that you've never played with before, and neither one of you is really that clear on on how it's going to play out. So that's just another challenge that they've been dealing with. But you know, Jordan looked a little bit, a little bit. He was on a bit of an island against Orlando, I think it's fair to say. Whereas Chapman was uh, was very much a, a force coming through that midfield. We. We mentioned the kind of lack of continuity and in the injuries and the problems that have caused for Toronto FC, but uh, at least lately, one of the biggest issues for Toronto FC has been their finishing. Uh, we saw that certainly against Orlando, Toronto FC had a chance to to put that game to bed um, a lot earlier than, than they did. Um, and Toronto's chance creation this year, it's been pretty great. It's near the top of the league in terms of expected goals. Um, that being goals that could be reasonably be expected to be scored given shot location and a variety of other factors. Uh, they've been expected to score 18.7 goals so far this year. Um, they've only scored 13. Um, and last year, you know, they were a team that pretty much took every chance they had. Obviously, 
having Josie Altidore out, that's the that's a big reason why why this has taken place. But um, is there anything else you look at in terms of uh, why Toronto hasn't quite been able to finish the chances they've been creating this season? Because um, it definitely has cost them points so far this year. Well, if you talk to Vanny about it, what he'd tell you is that as long as they're creating those chances, he's not worried about it. You know, this is a game where the hardest thing is always putting the ball in the back of the net and, and you can't really control how often that's going to happen. What you can control is how often you put yourself in those positions to get those goals. And so as long as that's happening, you have something to build off. In terms of the specifics of why Toronto has been struggling in that department, you know, I sort of chalk it up to a whole bunch of little factors that, that you know, though individually aren't aren't the hugest obstacles. When you when you put them all together, they can be the sort of thing that just sort of, you know, becomes a worm that that gets into your ear, that sort of gnaws away at the confidence. And so much of finishing that we've seen is confidence. You know, I uh, I think back to Jonathan Osorio, the the last you know maybe the last twelve months before the start of this year, and you know, he was a guy that would always get himself into those positions, but it seemed when it when it came time to the crucial moment to sort of strike the ball and put the put the shot on frame, he, he had a tendency to to send it over or to, to miss hit it or to send it wide. And those are just the little sort of things that that they start to weigh on you as a young player. I think we've seen Chapman sort of deal with that as well, mm-hmm. where he's had a couple of looks. We saw Marky Delgado have that in the Champions League where you know, a more assured finisher would just sort of slow the moment down and, and make sure all of the all of the individual mechanics that, that are involved in putting a ball clean on goal are, are taken care of. And you know, so part of that part of that I chalked down to to just that the lack of the feel of hitting the back of the net. And you add that to sort of the brewing frustration that there's been in the team, both with sort of having to navigate the Champions League and the league season and, and neither one of those uh, really turning out exactly the way that they've wanted it to. And then you have a bunch of players out and you're always sort of changing your system. You know, one of the things Vanny highlighted this week was that, you know, something we've seen the team do over the last couple of years is, is sort of establish a style and build out from that. They've established a way that they want to play and, and then they've gradually developed that further and further to the point where, where they were champions. And, because because of the way that the schedule is planned out and the lack of time in between matches and sort of the head spinning effect that that has added into the fact that you're not quite sure who's going to be fit and available for any particular game means that all of those little details, all those little sort of points of emphasis that you would normally be gradually adding into the side have sort of had to be put aside just just in the search of, of getting through this 90 minutes and grinding through another 90 minutes three days later. And, you know, one of the other things that's been brought up, and, and you never want to complain about the pitch a little bit too much, but mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the things that, that Greg put down for, um, for this lack of sort of efficiency in the final third was that so many, so many of these sort of goal decisions can come down to that sort of split second and, and that confidence I was speaking about before. And if you're Sebastian Jovinko and you're worried that the pitch is going to give out just as you sort of plant your foot to take a shot, are you going to be striking with the same confidence? If there's that slight bobble before the ball gets to you, does that affect how, how well you can strike a ball? And therefore, does it allow a defender to sort of get a boot in and get a block? And, 
you know, does that mean that, that when you have what looks like it might be a decent shot on goal, you sort of second guess yourself and instead of, you know, taking a bit of a hopeful shot, you end up looking for another pass just to play the ball that little bit closer and into a slightly better position. So a lot of this stuff very much comes from sort of confidence and sort of getting the feel and having that positivity. And, you know, with the way that, that the Champions League ended and with the fact that the league has been has been such a struggle so far, it sort of makes sense that that confidence is a little bit uh, amiss, to, to put it lightly. But, uh, you know, string a couple of results together, start getting some bodies back and start sort of looking and feeling more like yourself. And, and I expect Toronto FC to be back in their ways soon enough. As a garbage men's league striker, I can tell you any bobble uh, on a field contributes to how many more feet the ball is going over the net. So um, I, I certainly <laughs> don't play on BMO field style pitches, but uh, it definitely contributes. Uh, you mentioned the kind of getting players back, and uh, I hope I don't have to do this uh, too much more in the in the foreseeable future, but uh, let's look at the, the Toronto injury list right now and let me know if, if there are any further updates to your knowledge, but this is the last I've at least heard. Um, in the positive category, Nick Hagelin could play tomorrow. Um, in the somewhat close to returning camp is Ashton Morgan and Justin Morrow. Uh, Morgan's injury seems like more of a rest thing. I think that's what Greg Vanny was saying after to the last game um hasler could be back soon as well um and then of course altador and Moore are in the longer term camp i think uh in terms of some of these injuries and i think honestly we might continue to see toronto fc rotated a little bit because uh fatigue has to be catching up and we saw delgado uh, come off the bench uh last week as well um in terms of players just kind of the minutes they've been playing and even the ones who have been healthy throughout the season you know eventually uh it's going to catch up with them so um i think we might continue to see Toronto get rotated a little bit um, kind of unexpectedly yeah just the one tweak I would make to that list would be uh, I have no idea where Justin Morrow is in his in his timeline mm. uh, I think we we know that that Drew Moore and Josie Alto are going to be fairly long term and and Nick Hagland does look like he's the closest one and and after that Ashton Morgan and Nico Hassler you get the sense that that both of them are carrying something and, and they're both sort of being watched carefully. But when it comes to Justin Morrow, we just, we, we haven't really gotten a clear timeline either from the original injury that he suffered that forced him off. And then when he made a substitute appearance and and was unavailable again after that. So that's the only tweak that I would make there. And as you mentioned, Vanny's sort of, he's talked about this a fair bit in the last couple of weeks is that they don't want to, they don't want to get into a cycle where, because of these injuries, they're running guys into the ground. And so you get a player like Nick Hagelin back only for Gregory Vanderveel to, to pick up something that he can't play. And, and he's been dealing with a little bit of a tendonitis in his Achilles, and that's why he wasn't in New England. And so I think I think the club's just looking to be very cautious when it comes to to rushing guys back or, or overworking guys. As you mentioned, they've, they've all been playing a lot of minutes for – you know, we're still only three months into the season mm. and the team has played that seems some insane. 18 games. I know. I, I sometimes, every once in a while, I uh, I have a big chart on my wall of when all the matches are. And mm. it's fast. It's quickly filling up. And every once in a while, I have to go, oh, yeah, we're only three months into the season. <laughs> and, so, you know, the, the emphasis right now, I think, is getting those bodies back and, and getting everyone healthy and giving Vanny options. One of the things Vanny talks about a lot over the years that I've been covering this team is 
is how much he loves having options at his disposal and how that raises the level in training and it allows him to sort of pick the group that he thinks are at their peak at that moment for that match. And I think that's something that we've sort of, that it, from the outside, it's, it's really difficult to sort of oversee that. We just see the result and the result was Toronto's season last year. And, and maybe that's sort of an intangible that we haven't seen this year. That could be a, a corollary for why they haven't been quite themselves. And if Toronto did want to reinforce their lineup um, in terms of bringing in players, I think it's it's safe to say they are reasonably close to the cap and uh, probably too close to bring in a really impact player. Um, however, this week, uh, Paul Tenorio of The Athletic uh, reported that there might be a new mechanism coming in that Toronto FC could use to bring in players come July. Um, it's called YTF, or the Youth Transfer Fund. I'm going to do my best to explain it, given the details. <laughs> we have because it is a little bit confusing and this won't cover the entire thing but this is the basics of it um mls teams would be given three million dollars between this summer and 2022 to spend on players 20 years of age or younger kind of the goal of that would be to uh, potentially develop those players and then resell them for a profit mls kind of becoming a bit of a middleman league um basically this would give teams the ability to buy down those players to roughly uh 200,000 in, in a cap hit and that's kind of what young dps cost so um it, it would give them that ability um tfc probably would need to shed a bit more cap if they did want to make this work um considering some of the some of the estimates i've seen out there um evidently bez is going to explore this i i think he him and the organization they kind of explore every opportunity they have to bring in players but is this something that you think could help toronto fc in the short term or is this a longer term potentially um thing for them yeah, let me start out by saying that if we've learned anything from watching Bezpachenko do his magic over the last few years, it's uh, it's taught us that you know he will find some way to make this benefit benefit TFC mm. if there is any way possible that it can. I I do find the sort of the fact that it's it's so explicitly for players that are under twenty to be very limiting in terms of immediate impact that you can make like. When it comes to bringing over a guy, let's say you found an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old, that, that's pretty hit and miss in terms of, of whether that guy is going to be able to contribute to your team, mm-hmm. uh, especially in, in the short term. You know, longer term, can he develop into something that, that becomes a very useful piece? Definitely, those people are out there. But to find somebody in that specific age range, like if we look at some of the examples of, of players that our friend – Oliver Platt suggested in his sort of write-up on this YTF. Uh, you know, Mino, he's too old for it. Uh, Gideon Waya, another one of the players that the club has sort of brought into TFC2 to have a long-term look at, he's too old for it. Jelani Peters, a, a defender that came in last year to TFC2 that that everyone speaks very highly of and has impressed in, in his few appearances, he's too old for it. So we're really talking sort of, the very rare case, you know, Ali had a list of, of potential players in MLS in that age range who could have qualified, and, and there are three players wide. <laughs> so, so I sort of view this as less less a way to make your team better and more of a way to to perhaps try and emphasize and encourage teams to to dig a little bit deeper when they're doing their scouting and to maybe find some of those diamonds 
in the rough that they can polish into into potentially being something that that can be both a talent source for the league and a, a potential investment in terms of you know one of the more interesting things about this is that any transfer fee that were to that were to be um, uh, received as a result of, of such a transaction would go 100% to the club and it would be used to replenish the the youth transfer fund as, mm. as we currently understand it and it's not official status. At the <laughs> and, and so, you know, those are always sort of little things where the league tries to prod teams and, and try to not so much influence as to sort of make suggestions to them about, about things that they think would be a wise, wise way to direct resources. And I see that more as this than any way of really sort of bringing, bringing in somebody that's going to be a, a, a useful piece. Now that said, would I be surprised if Bez found some way to make it work? No, I would not be surprised. Yeah, that is very true. And I think we think of kind of right now and the fact that we've been so conditioned to think of Toronto FC as, as having holes because of all the injuries. Once everyone's back, this isn't necessarily a great team for young players to try and break into because there are so many established players at almost every position. Um, so, so it would be tough if they brought in an 18, 19 year old to, you know, contribute right away. Um, you could potentially get a player who could do something off the bench for you, which would be beneficial for Toronto FC right now, an attacking player. But, um, at the end of the day, I think this is something that, um, Toronto will definitely use this, but probably not this season. Or if they are using it this season, they won't necessarily be a player. We'll see all that much. I don't think, um, Toronto FC, they have four games uh, before the World Cup break. Uh, FC Dallas tomorrow, then Columbus away on June 2nd, Philadelphia away on June 6th, and then that move Champions League game, uh, DC United home on June 13th. Um, what are the kind of expectations of these four games? Uh, what, what do you think they would be content with in terms of, of points-wise, getting them back kind of um, in that race? Yeah, you know, there's 12 points on offer, as you say, those four matches. And, and you never want to put like an absolute total on, a, you know, if we only get 10, that would be a massive disappointment. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think the, the the sentiment sort of coming out of the group this week was that, you know, they're not going to look at the standings. They're not going to look at the table. They're not going to look at what other teams are doing right now. Their Their sole objective is to go out on Friday against Dallas and get three points. And then after they do that, they will look ahead to Columbus and they'll see what happens in that Columbus game. And then after that, they'll look ahead to Philadelphia. And so that's that's a pattern that we sort of we sort of got a, a very deep look at last year, where the uh, the phrase "one game at a time" sort of became the rallying call of the club. And, uh, so you know, going into this World Cup break, I don't think you can really say that that Toronto needs to be back in the playoff standings that they need to be yeah. within this many points of this team or they need to be this close to the supporters shield. I think what you really want to see from the team is, is that they get players back healthy and they start sort of looking more like themselves and they start dictating matches in the way that, that they want to. And, you know, MLS is a bit of a funny league in that, you know, all the points count the same and all these points that you sort of get at this time of the year are extremely valuable when it comes to the end of the season. Um, that's just that's just a plain fact. But there are a lot of you know the, the one of the old tropes that we always talk about is is the MLS summer grind. And so we'll go into this World Cup break, and then 
you know, teams will start losing guys to their national teams while they're at the World Cup, especially for teams that go deep into the tournament. Teams will start having injuries, and you start having to go to Dallas in July, and you start having the matches come thick and fast, and your depth gets tested, and, and your ability to sort of be your best self is severely hampered over these next few months. And, you know, we've already sort of seen that a little bit. I think Atlanta's lost two of their last three matches. You know, NYCFC are, are uh, I think they only have a couple wins in their last few. And, you know, both NYCFC and the New York Red Bulls are at risk of losing their coaches. Mm. So I mean, <laughs> you never quite know. You never quite know how a season's going to go. Um, and then after that, you know, that the same goes for Toronto. After this four-match spell, they face a July where they have four straight matches away either side of a, of a pair of home games. So the the explicit goal will be just sort of focus on each individual game, focus on the little things that they need to do. But one of the more intriguing things, and it's been something that's, that's come from several players over the last little while, and uh, we've sort of seen little glimpses of it, and we touched on it a little bit with uh, the winning ugly, the sort of digging deep, the... The not letting that that Haigita equalizer stop them from coming back and finding a way to win against Orlando mm-hmm. is that, you know, there's different competitions require different things from a team and and if you talk to Vanny, he likes he likes to use the regular season as sort of, you know, etching away towards the perfection of how they want the team to play, and and the pinnacle of that should lead to a supporter shield or at least that's the goal. But when it comes to playoffs and when it comes to the Champions League, those are just totally different beasts. You don't have to play pretty in those competitions. You don't have to impress. You don't have to wow anybody. You just sort of have to win. And that's that's what it requires in a knockout competition to, to achieve your goal. And so I wouldn't be surprised, and, and this is what's been sort of coming out of camp the last few weeks, is that Toronto wants to see themselves more in that sort of desperation state, that sort of, it doesn't matter how pretty it is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we entertain. We just need to go out and get these points. And, you know, Aro has made reference to to that sort of kill or be killed, at it, be killed <laughs> attitude that they had in the Champions League. Mm. And, and Clint Irwin said that, you know, we just have to go out and, and we got to do whatever we have to do to get these three points. And he'll be stepping between the posts for Alex Bono, who's away with the U.S. national team this weekend. And so... I kind of expect that we're going to see, uh, maybe not, maybe not desperate, maybe not more direct, but I think we're going to see a much more driven, a much more focused side over these coming weeks in terms of turning their attention fully to the league and knowing that they have some ground to make up and, and their intent on doing so. Let's wrap up the first team discussion there um, and move on to Toronto FC2, the club's USL affiliate. Um, they've also played 10 games so far this season. Um, things have gone a little bit worse for them. They only have uh, two points. They've yet to win a game this season, but uh, I think more promising signs certainly recently in terms of their play uh, had a pretty heartbreaking uh, result against Atlanta United second team that, uh, you know, was it was just hard to watch considering how well they played in that game. Um, but we've had a bit of a larger uh, a larger chance to look at uh, Laurent Gaillot and what he's been able to do with this team. Uh, what are some of the differences, or or are there any big differences we're starting to see um, with him now in charge of this team? Yeah, it's uh, it's always tough to to analyze TFC too so much, uh, too much, especially when when the season has been such a, a strange start that that it has. Like, uh, 
I was speaking with Greg Vanny yesterday up at, up at training about sort of TFC2 and how they've sort of found it. And I would challenge anyone to find another team that has played home matches in five different <laughs> over the course of their, the start of their season, you know, between BMO Field and Monarch Park and playing a game in Rochester and, and having to move home matches to Pittsburgh and Charlotte because of the state of the field at BMO. Um, that's, that's not a... It's not a way to really build consistency and it's not a way to sort of establish yourselves and, and get your legs under you as, as you face a very difficult season playing in USL against a bunch of seasoned and grizzled veterans. You know, uh, We did have it confirmed that TFC's match on Saturday against uh, the Tampa Bay Rowdies will indeed be played at BMO Field. There is a, a Champions League final going on, which I, I believe you have a <laughs> get-together planned for that one, so I won't expect to see you at BMO Field. But, um that said, you know, there has been a lot of positives, and Vanny said the same thing yesterday when I was asking him about it. Uh, Laurent has seemed to settle into a formation, and, you know, one of the one of the troubles that Jason Bent had last year was that they um, there was sort of a, a desire to have TFC2 play in the same way as the first team. And I always find that's a little bit risky in the sense that you sort of want to set your team up to, to be – set up properly for the players that you have, not for the way that you want it to look, but you need to adjust your tactics to the players that you have at your disposal. And so Laurent has set TFC two up in, in more of a four, two, three, one. There's a little bit of, a little bit of playing around in the midfield in terms of how defensive the two are versus mm-hmm. having somebody a little bit more attacking in, in one of those deep blind midfield roles. But that's been, that's been positive. And like, like Jason Bent did last year, the emphasis through these early weeks has very much been, especially after a heavy loss they had against Pittsburgh about a month, a month and a half ago, was that we need to get our defensive situation sorted out and organized and, and use that as the springboard to propel the attacks forward. And, and after that four-goal defeat in Pittsburgh, we've seen a much better side defensively, uh, aside from that, that goal explosion in Atlanta last week. And, um, and then on top of that, one of the things that, that TFC2 really struggled with last season was finding goals. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have the number on the top of my head in terms of how many they scored over the course of the year, but it wasn't many. And there there weren't a lot of games where they scored more than one. So to have that four-goal four goal outing in Atlanta and to have scored in three of their last four matches, even though they have all been losses, is is very encouraging for a side that's that's slowly sort of rounding a corner and then you factor in the fact that you're never entirely certain who's going to be available from week to week. Gaio has done a really good job of sort of uh, relying more on, on maintaining relationships out on the field and getting guys into, into positions where they've done well and rewarding guys for good performances with continued starts. And so those have all been sort of encouraging signs and, you know, it's it's always sort of a, a challenge watching TFC2 and the fact that you you sort of have to watch carefully to see the progress that's being made. Because if you just sort of catch the highlights or you just sort of look at the score or or read my reports at Waking the Red, if you're so inclined, it, Do that, it yeah. can be really <laughs> difficult. <laughs> it can be really difficult to sort of see the incremental bits of progress that are made. But, but we've seen a lot of players really sort of step up and, and do particularly well. 
Um, and this was a question asked at the the last footy talks, and I almost wanted to call you up and get you on speakerphone uh, to to answer this. But um, the fan was kind of wondering about um, you know how much we should be concerned about the fact that Toronto FC two, and I know this question that gets asked kind of all the time, but it's something that's happening again this year. Um, you know, all the losing and and the fact that you know the first team is so so focused on winning um and and then the second team you know they have all these struggles is that always going to be a byproduct of kind of playing in a league um where they're going to be younger than a lot of these teams and um they are they do really kind of value that those younger players and and kind of giving them the professional experience yeah i'm sort of caught in two minds on this like you always hear that winning is a habit when it comes to professional sports mm-hmm. and, and it's something that you have to learn and it's something that you develop. And, and so it's, it's obviously a very good environment for a player to sort of come through. And, but at the same time, you know, there, there is some value to failing. There is some value to struggling. And, and there are a lot of lessons that a player can take from, from getting blown out that maybe he wouldn't necessarily learn from winning six, nothing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, going back to something I said earlier, uh, it's not unusual for a really talented Canadian soccer player to be sort of that big fish in a small pond, to, to live in that goldfish bowl where they all that they know is their backyard. And because of that, they've been dominant throughout their career. And so to step into this league and to sort of start your professional career by really having to scrap and claw and, and really having to to test yourself and, and to examine your game and see where you're weak and see where you need to get better. There can be a lot of value to that. I get asked this question a lot, sort of like, when, when are they going to start being competitive? Is that the game plan? Where, where does the line get drawn between going out to win and being their own club and sort of being a very developmental club? And, you know, I, I haven't quite settled on, on what it is that, that we should be evaluating them on in those terms. Sometimes one of the things that I sort of think is a useful way of looking at it is how have the guys who have come from TFC2 looked when they come up to the first team? Because as much as winning can be important in your development, you know, that's something that you can also get when you become a professional, when you become a first team player and you're part of the first team, that mentality is very infectious. And so if we look at a guy like Ryan Telfer, who we've seen this year, he's barely messed a beat. When we saw Raheem Edwards come up last year, and, and in particular in 2016, when he when he joined the team for a couple of Voyager's Cup matches, he barely missed a step as well. And, you know, Liam Fraser's gotten his minutes. They haven't always been in the best circumstances, but he's not looked out of place. Mariano Mino and Aiden Daniels and their sort of brief little cameos have looked like they belong out there. And, you know, Julian Dunn, a 17-year-old defender, was was put in a very awkward spot in that Houston match. And, and you know, it, it may not have been his best showing, but I can guarantee you that that from that 90 minutes, that 75 minutes, whatever he put in that day, he will have taken so much experience in, and he will have so much tape to go over and so many lessons to have learned from that. And so, you know, it, in terms of whether TFC2 needs to win in order to be graduating players to the first team, I don't think that's particularly relevant whether it would be nice for them to win just for the sake of making it more fun to watch a, a more enjoyable supporting experience. Of course, that would always be the way, but there's always some value in losing too. 
Let's talk about some prospects of interest now with Toronto FC2. And I think the one player um, who he did sign a first-team contract this year and has stood out uh, the most for Toronto FC2 this season is Aiden Daniels, a player who's kind of run their attacking midfield this season. They kind of moved him out a little bit wider than he's played in the past, and he's looked fantastic in in that position. Toronto FC's, uh, as we mentioned a a bit earlier, that loss to Atlanta United where they did score four goals. He was pretty crucial to that. He was... uh, involved in almost everything in that game and um, creating all kinds of chances scoring a couple himself so um, what have you made of of his development this year and a player who's really starting to look like um, he could have serious first team potential for Toronto FC yeah I was joking with Greg Vanny yesterday just trying to find out what they've been feeding him (laughs) because he's been he's been such a different player to the one that we saw last year in previous years and you know I I must admit that, like, when I watched him last year, you know, you could see the talent, and, and I saw him as that sort of silky midfielder who makes runs and sort of links up and, and does those sort of little things in the midfield that don't, don't always catch the attention and aren't always celebrated. But this year he's become just an altogether powerful running force up those wings and, and tormenting opposition defenders. That Atlanta guy, we have no idea what happened in that corner, but... <laughs> I'm sure that Atlanta guy will remember it for the rest of his life. And it's been really wonderful to see. And, you know, Aiden's a, he's a really good guy. And it's uh, it's definitely something that TFC2 have needed to have to have him step up. And he's one of those guys that's, that's taken on the captain's armband with Liam Frazier moving on to the first team. And he's definitely provided a spark to the team. Let's talk about some of the other uh, Toronto FC2 players who have stood out for you. I think it's safe to say we've seen a lot of them uh, cycle through through the past uh, couple of weeks as a result of the first team injuries and players like Telfer and and you know uh, Mino getting called up to the first team uh, and kind of spending a lot of time on the first team bench and, and on the field in Telfer's case. Um, so who are some of the players who have had positive starts to the season for Toronto FC2 and who uh, fans should be keeping an eye on yeah it's been very interesting watching too this season it always sort of is because you're never quite sure who's going to appear from week to week you know in in addition to the guys who are actually signed to tfc2 deals we've seen a lot of guys from tfc3 getting minutes in the last few weeks which is always always pretty fascinating you know luca petrasso kunli data luke and jordan faria have all been been getting some valuable usl minutes and these are guys that are 16, 17 years old, and with Angelo Cavaluzzo's injury the other week, we've seen an 18-year-old goalkeeper, Gianluca Catalano, get a couple of matches under his belt. And so it's always just sort of nice to get your first looks at these guys. And Feria scored a goal mm. um, the other day against Charlotte in that loss. So it, it's it's always quite fun to see sort of sort of to get your first glimpse at these guys and, and see what they're gonna going to potentially be as they continue to develop in terms of the regulars who have really sort of made a name for themselves you know julian dunn has come down and really been a force in that back line alongside him another 17 year old rocco romeo has been very impressive and and i'm a big fan of robert boscovich who i just think is is a uh, ryerson baby you know <laughs> <laughs> true true I, I know you have some allegiances in that direction um he's uh He's just exactly what you want from a center back. There's no frills about it. He's just he's just calm. He does his job, and he reads the play so extremely well. His ability to sort of know where a, a, an, op, 
an opponent wants to play a pass and his ability to put himself there and intercept that pass and, and step out and get TFC moving in the other direction is just second to none on this team. And it's something that I really like in a defender, just somebody who sort of senses where danger could possibly brew and steps in to prevent it from, from happening is just invaluable mm-hmm. in a defender. And, uh, you know, along with that, Luca Uccello is, is always a guy that I find very interesting to watch. Uh, last year, Jason Bent sort of explained him to me, and, and Chris Bosniak said this as well, as as sort of one of those guys who, who the way that he works and the way that he combines, it might not always be spectacular what you see him do, but he's one of those glue guys that makes everybody around him better. And, and we've seen him finding the back of the net with two goals against Atlanta in recent weeks, you know. Malik Johnson is probably one of my favorite guys to watch on the team when it comes to picking up a ball 50, 60 yards from goal and, and just running forward with, with speed and control. There, there's nobody more entertaining to, to sort of watch what's happening. He, he needs to work a little bit more on, on that final decision-making in terms of turning that, that work into chances, but he's one to definitely keep an eye on as well. And and I'm quite high on on. Matt Serbel, another one of those midfielders. He's less, uh, less perhaps graceful about the way that he does it than Malik Johnson is, but his ability to sort of pick up a ball and, and just surge forward from midfield is is fantastic. And we saw him score a wonderful goal against New York in the first match of the season. And he picked up a little injury, but getting him back into the fold has been great for them. And I'm quite intrigued by this Gideon Wyatt character, this uh, 21-year-old they brought in from from Ghana in the off season. And, you know, I asked Vanny about him and Vanny sort of compared him to, uh, to an Ozzy Alonso type of midfielder. Mm-hmm. One of those guys who just sort of sits in front of the back line and mops everything up and, and just reads the game so well and, and knows what he has to do to get the ball forward and get the ball to those more attacking players who are going to make things happen at the other end. And so he's just another very, very interesting character to sort of keep an eye on and, that's one of the reasons that I that I quite enjoy writing about this team, despite you know always having to come up with a different headline for for how they've lost this <laughs> game. Is that uh, there are so many really fascinating stories under there, and uh, you know not a lot of people sort of have their attention on it. So every match sort of feels like you're discovering something new that you didn't know. There you go. There's your pitch to go out and watch some Toronto FC two this summer. It is a lot of fun to watch. There's a lot of quality players there. And uh, a lot of these players, as we've seen, they do eventually end up with the first team. So being able to get kind of a, an initial glimpse of these players and knowing a little bit more about them um, certainly uh, makes for good context. And, uh, you know, we'll, I think we'll wrap up there. A lot of Toronto FC talk today. Certainly we've gone throughout the organization. Um, and I really appreciate you joining me, James. Uh, I know you have a bunch of stuff always in the works uh, over at MLS Soccer. Um, what can readers look for? Uh, or, sorry, uh, listeners, people who are looking to, <laughs> to read some, some articles look for this week. Uh, over at MLS Soccer, things are a little bit sparse at the moment. Mm-hmm. We're sort of uh, we're sort of reevaluating where things are, just sort of getting a glimpse of uh, of how this Toronto FC team is going to take their next steps. Um, over at Waking the Red, we got our usual TFC two coverage, and and I'm very intrigued to sort of see. Well, if people do want to go to MLS Soccer, they can check out my piece on Amro Terex World Cup call for Egypt, which was which was pretty interesting. It's always it's always fun to sort of talk to a new guy and, mm. and get a sense for, for how he feels about a pretty momentous occasion in a young man's life. He had had 
one 30-minute substitutes appearance for Egypt before making it onto their provisional World Cup squad where, you know, he hopes to go to Russia with Mo Salah as, as the Pharaohs look to put themselves back on the world football map. Mm. So it's always sort of fun to, to poke your head into the opposition's dressing room and to see what's going on. Um, other than that, you know, just keeping grinding through the matches, trying to get my fitness back <laughs> under me and, uh, you know, hope to put myself into that playoff form when the time comes. Yeah, James has also been on the injury list, it sounds like, uh, <laughs> at recent times. Uh, I think we all have, considering how much uh, Toronto FC we've had to talk and write about over the past few weeks but uh, thanks again everyone for listening again come out to our free champions league watch party on saturday at 1 p.m at the rec room Um, will be an awesome time kicking off an exciting few weeks of soccer ahead of the world cup and for the footy talks podcast i've been mitchell tierney have a good week everyone